and our scripture reading is in Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, and I ask you to stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Reading out of the New Living Translation. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you, listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Now, this was within the context of people saying, well, you have to follow the Jewish dietary laws, Jesus. Why are you not holding us to that? Then Jesus, in verse 17, went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. Surely you can't mean what we think you mean, Lord. And Jesus said, he did that a lot, didn't he? Don't you understand either? He asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? The food doesn't go into your heart. It passes through the stomach and then out into the sewers. Thank you, Jesus, for that. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. But it wasn't just limited to that. Because then he added, it is what comes from inside that defiles you from, for, from within, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Unfortunately, my friends, these are the words of Jesus and the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, may all the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this day, O Lord, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. And please be seated. Yet again, this past week, we've dealt with horrible news. We've had a person with many guns, and I'm not going to use his name. We've heard that name too much. Take multiple lives and injure ten times more. And we find ourselves asking questions. How could we have stopped this from happening? But more than that, why did this happen? And there are those who want to conflate it all into the well. The why it happened is because we've made it possible for it to happen. But the why that most of us seem to be asking is, why did he 
do this. And then yet again, how could a person do something so evil? In the ministry, you start looking for God incidences. Um, I've got a radio. It's an internet radio. I was really, you know, I guess I could say I was proud of it because I found it at Goodwill for five bucks. It's a $150 machine. Okay, I, mm, you know, we still like to hunt and gather where we can. But I've got it set to come on in the morning to one of those streaming services and say, okay, um, this time we'll do Mercy Me as the wake-up call. And one of the God incidences this morning was the song that woke me up was The Hurt and the Healer by Mercy Me. You know the first words of that song? Why? The question that is never far away. The question that is never far away. Why do bad things happen to the good? I mean, we have seen disasters and we've already talked about that. How could God have allowed this and what does the Bible say about it and how these things that are disasters and natural disasters and tragedies happen because This is a world that has been broken from the theological perspective and from the very secular perspective. We've seen others that have said, well, we have structured things so that we're letting people take too much risk. And then the counter argument is, well, how much risk is too much? Like for me, surfing at any time is too much of a risk. Some of you, you might be able to surf down the Gulf Shores right now. But that has to do with disasters and tragedies and what happened a week ago tonight in Las Vegas was not really a Tragedy. There were tragic elements, but it wasn't a disaster. It was a perpetration of violence and of evil. So we find ourselves asking, why did he do it? How could he have done such a thing? And I think the reason we ask that so much is we want to make this understandable, comprehensible. We want to know why so we can understand it Because if we understand it in some way that makes us feel safer, more secure, more in control, we hope that maybe, well, maybe he just had a mental break because that would mitigate his responsibility. And I still think that even if we don't acknowledge it, that for all of us in the back of our heads, there is an important motivation to say, how could this not happen to me? How could I never find myself being the one perpetrating this evil? And we like to say to ourselves, well, if I saw myself going down a a bad path, I would take steps. I would talk to someone. I would seek out a counselor. I would do something different. On the other hand, 
maybe we speculate and almost kind of hope that he is one of those hidden monsters, the ones that have never been able to feel, those that maybe used to be, but life has burned all of their feeling out of them, because that is someone that feel feels utterly alien to us. So that is them that cannot be us. And I think that we want maybe without even admitting it to ourselves, just a little bit of reassurance that we would never become a perpetrator of evil. That is why it is challenging to study things like, oh, the example is Nazi Germany. Chris and I were talking about how they had a reading of some trials from Nazi Germany and how part of the difficulty of it is trying to figure out the culpability of a person who was swept up by the system. And a part of that, I think, is that psychological understanding, well, this isn't a monster, this isn't someone who is other than me, this is someone like me, and this is how they were led down that path. And that may, if I don't know if it makes you queasy, but it makes me queasy to think that. That once upon a time in what was the birthplace of the Reformation, that a whole culture could be swept into the perpetration of evil. So this week, wishing to do otherwise, I found myself drawn into looking into what people have said about evil and connecting that back to God's Word. And one of the models that I found that I thought was very interesting and maybe helpful was this, that there were four kinds. And the first one was the evil of the ends justifying the means. Let me just give you a hint. If Nikolai Machiavelli ever says something, run. The end justifies the means. Have you heard of that kind of evil and injustice before? Have you ever been tempted to that kind? Uh, And not a big thing, just a, a little thing. Well, if I cheat just a little, if I don't, then... My whole life will be ruined and my whole life should be, shouldn't be ruined because I just let down this one time. So I will go ahead and let's see where I can buy the answers to this test. That's for those of you in school. Paul was asked and actually confronted. He was trying to explain the nature of grace and what people were saying of him was, oh, well, if what he's saying is right, that when we sin, God's grace abounds and forgives us, then maybe we should just sin more and more and more so there would be more and more and more grace. So repeating this in the book of Romans, he was saying, well, a person might say, when I lie, it really gives God glory because my lie shows God's truth. So why am I judge a sinner? It would be the same to say we should do evil so that good will come. Now you notice he said that 
the way we would say, it's like saying the earth is flat. That would be like saying we should do evil so that good will come. (sighs) To lie, cheat, and steal. Back on Germany for a moment. I don't know how loud this is going to be. I heard that there is a Jew hiding in your midst. Where is he? No, there's no one here. I'm here in the pulpit and I say I would be very comfortable telling that lie. The trouble with the ends justify the means is when you start to use others as your means. The value that you have becomes what you can do for me. You are lesser than I. You are someone that is to be used, is to be taken advantage of. Your instrumentality is all that matters as far as I am concerned. And how much in our culture is that sort of soft pedal to us? What was that statement? I'm not going to worry about who I step on on the way to the top because I'm not coming back down. Ooh. Until it catches up. Do you notice the antidote should be for the Christian near at hand? Love your neighbor as yourself. And oh, sometimes that is hard to do. To love that neighbor who not only irritates us, but that neighbor who we feel threatened by. Either by their actions or their words or their ideas or what they represent. That person who we are so tempted to categorize as something else. It is so hard to view that person who has hurt us as someone who is... Loved by God. But that is the antidote. To love others as yourself. Oh, and by the way, for those of you here who persecute yourself for every little thing, don't forget the flip side of that. Show compassion to all people. The compassion you wish they would show to you, but do me a favor, show that much compassion. Don't be permissive with yourself, but please don't beat yourself up all the time. There is a difference. You understand that, right? Okay. How about this? I found it, Christopher. Stalin. Reportedly said by Stalin, one death is tragic, a million deaths is a statistic. The evil that can come from the idealist who is blind. 
Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit of God. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets gone out into the world. And Jesus himself, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. We do not know for sure if Stalin said that quote. It was reported by Leonard Lyons in the Washington Post that when he was commissar of munitions, there was a meeting and They were talking about how horrible and tragic it was that so many people were dying of hunger and Stalin interrupted the man to say, if only one man dies of hunger, that is a tragedy. If millions die, that's only statistics. I did a little research. From the previous century, 12 million Non-combatants killed by Nazi Germany. Nine million by Stalin's Russia. Over 30 million in Mao's China. All in the service of a supposed greater good. The antidote. You are not going to accomplish the greater good by killing millions of people. I don't know how they couldn't see that. God helped me never to really understand how they could not see that. But I will tell you the antidote for that. You are, you are living in a world where people are going to find some way to define their lives and to give it ultimate meaning. Our call as Christians is to present to them a gospel that says love your neighbor as yourself. Where the founder of that gospel gave his life as a ransom for many. We are to present to them an ideal of giving of oneself instead of taking from all others. There's another one that maybe you have heard of. Let's see, revenge is a drink best served cold. Huh. Don't get mad, get even. That's just a grumpy person up there. It's not anyone in particular because we've all heard of those. How many of you have said jokingly, don't get bad, get even? Don't raise your hands. (coughs) Wasn't it the Godfather who said, revenge is a dish best served cold? It was either the Godfather or the Klingons. I'm not sure. But that statement has caught on as well. We serve a God who limited that in the Old Testament to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Why? Because people would take, hey, you punch up my tooth, I'm gouging out your eye. And it would escalate and escalate. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury has been given a person shall be given to him. And at the bottom, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner or for the native, for I am the Lord your God. Those were two huge improvements to the quality of life and of justice in ancient Israel that were not going on in other places. Maybe the first one. The second one, not so much. In so many places, you have someone sojourning in your land, eh, whatever. They're not us. 
but God told his people at the time, you limit yourself to justice. And then in the New Testament, you limit yourself further and show forgiveness. Off the top of my head, I believe it was Rwanda. They had two sides that were fighting one another. Families were being exterminated, brutalized and slaughtered. When one would get in power, they would slaughter one. When the other would get in power, they would slaughter the others until finally a leader, whose name I cannot remember, came forward and said, we have got to stop this and the only way we can do this is through forgiveness. And they made a statement to everyone. If you will come and confess your crimes to the family that you did them to, if they forgive you, you are free. 80% of those who came forward were forgiven. 80%. And now if I remember correctly, that is the most stable of nations in the area. With the brightest future. Forgiveness works. Vengeance, not so much. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will revenge. I will pay them back. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, they're thirsty. Give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals. Someone adds of shame. But let's just leave it. That act of sacredness of making something sanctified. And so you will heat burning coals on their head. Now we understand those dangers, the dangers of using someone, the dangers of being so caught up in an idea that you stop looking at the results that it is causing, the dangers of being wounded and wounding out of your injury and taking revenge. The last one that they said is the one though that we hopefully cannot understand. The ones who are either born without feeling or who have it burned out of them, who have gotten to the point where evil is fun. Dear God, let that never be where we find ourselves. The antidote to that, never start down that path. Not an inch. And you know what that means? For us, most of us, that doesn't mean that we've got to worry about being the perpetrator. It does mean that we have to look at our actions and see, I have been harmed. Am I out of my injury harming others? I know for me, growing up in a place where I was one of... Anybody here ever been bullied? Yes? No? How many of you used to dream of what you would do to the bullies if you got them in your power? Be honest. Oh, my Lord. And you know something? When I dreamed as a child and as a teen of my vengeance, it was never an equal vengeance, was it? It was always, oh, I'm going to make it so that if I, if you do something to me, I want to hurt you so bad, you're never even going to think about doing that again. Because that is who humanity tends to be if we're not careful. And we can tend to be blinded and do harm in the cause of an ideal. And we sometimes can rationalize into doing something we really know we shouldn't because, well, it's going to have a good 
result, and no one will really get hurt. Be very careful with those. But for us this week, as the news still says, we don't know why. We don't have a motive. We can't figure it out. We think it's maybe this. No, it wasn't that. At some point, we will need to leave the why in God's hands. We may never know the reason in this case, this past week, and in others. But at some point, we have to trust God, take that, set it aside, put it on our list, let it go. Do not start singing a Frozen song. Okay. Just let it go. Now it's on my mind. Now it's stuck on my mind. (laughs) Back on track. We've got to take that stuff set aside. Indeed, let it go. And move on. Leave the why in God's hands because the worst thing we can do is get stuck at that point of darkness or tragedy we have experienced. So pray for everyone who is struggling this week. I mean, we, most of us are spectators. Maybe none of you, maybe none of us here have a connection to those actually hurt or killed in Las Vegas. But pray for those who do, because for them, the difficulty is going to be being stuck at that moment. Some are going to be seeking counselor's aid for PTSD. Some of them who never were even there, who hearing the stories from their loved ones over and over will be stuck in that moment of despair and of darkness. Pray for them that they can eventually leave the why and leave the darkness in God's hands. And may we all be as the psalmist who said, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening, Evening and morning and at noon. Will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So if I could put it in the words of a song, take this burden to the Lord. And leave it there. Let us pray. Father, you see us this week in the aftermath of yet another national tragedy that leaves us feeling helpless and makes us want to say that that what happened is other than us. That could not have been us. That we could not find ourselves as the brother or the mother of the perpetrator asking why. We could not find ourselves. Lord, you know how we wish to distance from maybe the things that you could teach us 
during this time. And Lord, it may be that this time you will use this event to teach us that sometimes in this life we will not have the reason. Lord, that will touch on each of our lives. When we come to that point, it will remind us of the other things that we have asked you why. And to our mind, we never received an answer. Lord, help us. We pray during that time. And Lord, help us to see Yes, there is evil in this world. Yes, there are heinous acts that are done. Thankfully, Lord, I don't think any of us here would find ourselves that far down the path. But Lord, help us to see the temptations of this week coming forward for us to rationalize, to not love our neighbor as ourselves, the temptation to not think of the consequences. Help us to do good and in doing good overcome evil. Now, Lord, be with us through this week. Guide us and help us, we pray. In your name, amen.